the Holy Spirit of God. We are busy with a series on the Holy Spirit. In this season, it is critical for us to understand how to cooperate with and how to be led by the Spirit of God. For the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. He is here in the earth to guide and lead us. He is definitely our helpmate, our protector, our guide, our leader, our power, our comforter in a day of great challenges and trial. Well, today's teaching will be taken from the New Testament mainly. To begin with, the question is, who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in the book of John 3, 8, the wind blows, breathes where it wills, and though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is not a wind. However, the effects of a wind are definite and can be seen, and its workings cannot be limited or controlled. So too the work of the Holy Spirit can be seen and experienced, yet those born of the Spirit are not limited in terms of their movements. John 4.24 God is a spirit. He's a spiritual being, according to the Amplified. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, in reality. It is clear that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And since God is a spirit, it will not be incorrect to say that the Holy Spirit is really God. He lives in man through the anointing. John 7, 37 to 39 tells us, Now on the final and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs, and rivers of living water. But he was speaking here of the Spirit, whom those who believed and trusted and had faith in him were afterwards to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, raised to honor. So the Holy Spirit had not yet come to the believers at this point. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus Christ had to be glorified first for this to happen. Now while the Holy Spirit was likened unto the wind, here he's likened unto springs and rivers of living water. This prophetic declaration was being announced by the Lord Jesus Christ as to what the believers could expect. This now was a personal, internal experience of life within a man. The book of John 14 from verses 15 to 18 tells us, If you really love me, you will keep and obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, a counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. The Spirit of Truth 
whom the world cannot receive. Welcome, take to its heart, because it does not see him or know and recognize him. But you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. The Holy Spirit is shown to us as our comforter, our counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. In fact, he's our all in all. To have the Holy Spirit is to have everything. We learn also that God is a spirit. So the Holy Spirit is really God. He is also described as a spirit of truth. He then brings clarity and accuracy for those who receive him. He is the Spirit of God who will live with us always. Take note that he will not leave us as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn or helpless. That's very interesting to me because while the Lord is saying, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying when he was on the earth, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And when he comes, he will dwell within us always. The world cannot receive him because the world does not know him. So in a way he is saying that we, the children of God, should know him. Then he goes on to say, I will not leave you orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn and helpless. I will come back to you. So who was really coming back to us when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us? It is clear to see that you cannot separate God, the Lord Jesus Christ, from his Spirit. The book of 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, freedom. And all of us as with unveiled face, behold, continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So clearly the scripture is telling us that the Lord is the Spirit. The scripture is also telling us that when the Spirit comes, there is liberty for us. From bondage, we can now walk in freedom. But I love this where the scripture says that all of us, as with unveiled face, we continue to behold in the word of God as if in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And then we are being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor, but from one degree of glory to another. So the Holy Spirit has come to take us on a journey. And that journey is to show us the word, until we become the Word. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take us on this journey until we can shift from one level of glory to the next level of glory. Until the fullness of God is seen in us. Now here's another clarity of who the Holy Spirit really is. He is the Lord Himself and, become, and comes to us to set us free from bondage and slavery. 
He also unveils to us so that we can see the life-giving word. And he begins to help transfigure us in a process of translation from one degree of glory to the next into the perfect image of God himself. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is a life-giving spirit. Therefore, it is impossible for us to live accurately and victoriously without the Holy Spirit in us. Luke 8.55 says, And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. Now in this verse you will notice that the spirit of the little girl who had died, that Jesus raised from the dead, that word spirit was the breath that she was carrying. Even though the same word pneuma is used, notice the small s for spirit. Luke 24, 39. Jesus said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Feel and handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. This tells us that the Lord Jesus did resurrect in a body and not just as spirit. John 6, 63 tells us, it is a spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit whatever. There is no profit in it. The words, the truths that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. So the Holy Spirit is a life giver. While the first Adam was created a living soul, God made man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being or a living soul. But there's a difference from being alive and from being able to give life. The Holy Spirit is a life giver. He's just not alive. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, take note that you are carrying life in you. The Spirit of God is closely related to the Word of God. The revelation word is spirit. In fact, the blueprint of the spirit is the word, the counsel of God. This is the life-giving word hidden in the letter of the word. Therefore, the Bible tells us in John 1, 1 to 3, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So the Holy Spirit is the blueprint of the word. Therefore, we cannot neglect the Word because the Word carries spirit and life. The Word is the makeup of God. And on our journey from one degree of glory to the next, we must become the living Word. This is not a good Word that just brings knowledge and revelation to us. We have to shift from just preaching a good Word, having knowledge of the Word, even having revelation of the word, we have to shift to becoming the very life of that word, the spirit in the word. So while there is the letter of the word, 
hidden in the letter is the Spirit. Like while we have had the Jesus of Nazareth on the earth, hidden in the Jesus of Nazareth was the life called Christ. Acts 7.59 says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This word spirit was the breath of Stephen. Again, small letter s. Ephesians 4.4 tells us, There is only one body and one spirit, just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling you received. So there is only one Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit is in all of us if we have received him. Therefore, we cannot claim any of our own cleverness. Besides, we ought to respect the Spirit of God in each other and not speak ill of one another. Also, the same Holy Spirit in all of us brings the oneness in the body. Therefore, oneness is more authentic and real when the Spirit of God can bring us to become one man. So while it is good to gather together in large groups to show oneness, it is not the perfect oneness. We might never be in the same place, all led by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.23 tells us, And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Take note that the mind has a spirit. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in the life of your mind. That means a soul is not just a memory box. It is, it's not just a computer box carrying information. There is life to the soul. And therefore we need to be renewed in that life, in the spirit of the mind. That means that the mind is not a dead organ, but a living one, and can access the counsels of God. Romans 8.27 And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is, because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God in behalf of the saints, according to and in harmony with God's will. So while the mind has a spirit, the Holy Spirit also has a mind. Mind is the intent or thoughts of the spirit. 1 John 4, 2-3 says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereby we have heard that it should come. And even now, already, is in the world. So then no man can actually confess and declare that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That Christ, the Godhead, deity, presented himself in his completeness in human flesh. That's a critical issue right now, even in the church world. Most people will still look at Jesus and say, it is a Jesus of Nazareth who died and rose again for us. But the purpose of God, the eternal purpose of God, for deity to dwell within human flesh, 
is a reality. And that is something that we sometimes think blasphemous. And therefore, the Bible is very clear. If you have the Spirit of God, you will know that through the Spirit of God, deity has come to dwell in humanity. You have to come to the place to recognize, as Peter did, Christ in Jesus. Christ is deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completeness, fullness of God in human flesh. Maybe some people will even believe that because Peter had the revelation and declared it. But today, it is not always easy for people to recognize that deity dwells through the Holy Spirit in humanity. This revelation can only be brought to us through the Spirit of God. And if any man does not accept or believe or confess that the Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, has not the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of Antichrist. I think today there's going to be a weighing of what we have understood, a weighing of our belief system, a weighing of who we really are. And it hinges on the fact that there are so many scriptures in the Bible that tells us that God's abode is with man, that God pitches his tent, fixes his abode with and in man. The Bible also tells us that if we keep the word of God, he will come and dwell with us. The Bible tells us that we need to believe by faith that Christ dwells inside of us and together with the saints, we begin to understand divine love, just how high, long, wide and deep the love of God really is, so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We might have the richest measure of the divine presence of God himself and become a body fully filled and flooded with God. Now it is easy for us to say, yes, God presented himself in human flesh, in Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, the physical Jesus of Nazareth, the man. That's why he's called the Son of Man, but he's also called the Son of God, the only begotten of God, the right-hand Son of God, the firstborn Son of God, the beloved Son of God. So it might be easy, we come to a place on our journey to believe that Jesus Christ truly embodied deity but will it still be possible for us to believe that there are a people on the earth who must also believe that God presents himself within human flesh the Bible's telling us if we can't believe this then it is antichrist but if we can believe it then we are part of a company called Christ the word Christ means the anointed and through a process of transfiguration, translation, the anointing present in man from God is called Christ. The fullness of God 
present in man is Christ, the Anointed One. And it is critical for us to understand the Holy Spirit, to understand this transfiguration and translation. As we go along, we will learn more about the Holy Spirit and His function in the church. His function within a first fruit company of people and how God manifests in His Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God We are busy with the same subject, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can see how critical it is in this season to work very closely with the Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of us, who has been given to us to take us on a journey, to mature us, to bring us to perfection, to grow us, to reveal to us the image of the Father, to teach us all about sonship and to guide us each day in understanding the will and purpose of God, in understanding all that is happening around us, what will happen and how we should react. And in this season, it is critical for us to understand these very important truths. The Holy Spirit receives from the Father everything pertaining to the Son and He transmits this to us both via knowledge through the Word but also He transmits it to us via the anointing, the essence of life that He carries. The Bible tells in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21 to 22 But it is God who confirms and makes us steadfast and establishes us in joint fellowship with you in Christ and has consecrated and anointed us, enduing us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He has also appropriated and acknowledged us as His by putting His seal upon us and giving us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a security deposit. So once again, we see that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal to protect us in a very difficult time in the world. The Holy Spirit is actively involved in every situation, not just the spiritual activities, but in every situation, even in our natural situations. He helps us make correct decisions He places before us a pathway that is fully lit, that we might make the right choices and walk on a path that is accurate. But a lot depends on us, on whether we adhere to the promptings of the Spirit, as to whether we will hear the Spirit of God, for he who hears the Spirit of God is the overcomer. Blessed is he who hears the voice of the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3, 2-6, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, His unmerited favor, that was entrusted to me to dispense to you for your benefit. 
and that the mystery, the secret, was made known to me and I was allowed to comprehend it by direct revelation, as I already briefly wrote you. When you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery was never disclosed to human beings in the past generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, consecrated messengers and prophets by the Holy Spirit. It is this that the Gentiles are now to be fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body and joint partakers, sharing in the same divine promise in Christ through their acceptance of the glad tidings of the gospel. So here we are, understanding the secrets of God, the mysteries of God. And the only one who can reveal these mysteries to us is the Holy Spirit. And he does it through his consecrated messengers called apostles, who are really architects and wise master builders. Paul is saying that this mystery called Christ, or rather the secret called Christ, was never made known fully in the generations gone by. But in this season, the secret Christ, the mystery called Christ, has been made known to apostles. And that stewardship by grace was entrusted, Paul says to him, so that he could dispense it for our benefit. Now we know that in a day when there's a scourge in the earth and throughout the earth, every person is affected. Nobody can hide away from this. But the Bible tells us that he who dwells or he who hides in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. But we know that the secret of God is Christ. In the Old Testament, we know that the secret place was really a place. The most holy place was the secret of God, where one man would go in once a year to meet with God and come back with some answers from God, but also come back with a redemption for the whole of the nation. But we know in this season it is not a place because even our churches are closed down right now. So it's not a place called church. It's not the pulpit. Rather, our secret place is Christ. Therefore, there's a call for the church to migrate into Christ. And he says, when you read this, you will understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Christ is not only God's carefully guarded secret, but Christ is also a mystery. And why is Christ such a mystery? Is Christ not Jesus of Nazareth? Why did God have to reveal Christ particularly? How does Christ benefit the world? 
We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was a physical man even though he was endowed with the divine. He carried within him the divine. He was not born ordinarily, for he is the divine seed of God. He was the direct result of the Spirit of God. And yet, he was also very much a son of man. Most people knew him as the son of Joseph and Mary. Those that walked with him knew him in the flesh. And in spite of all the glorious miracles he did in their midst, there were times they struggled because they knew him in such a familiar way as a human being. And when the Lord walked with his disciples, he taught them many things about how they should walk and what their belief system should be like. But he could never leave the earth until he elicited out of them the truth that he was really the Christ. And even though he had an ordinary human body, but he really was the Christ. So who is Christ and why did they have to know the Christ? After all, his name was Jesus Christ and Christ is not his surname. The truth is, the mystery about Christ is that Christ is deity. Christ is God. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. For Colossians chapter 2, and verse 9 and 10 are very relevant in this regard. And when we look at the scripture, we can see clearly some hidden secrets about who Christ really is. I'm going to read from the Amplified for you. And this is what it says. For... In him, the whole fullness, talking about Christ. For when we look at verse 8, we see Christ the Messiah. So the reference in verse 9 is to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. Now Jesus is not here any longer in bodily form. But Christ continues to dwell lives, the word is lives, in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. So Christ is the complete expression of the divine nature. He is the complete expression or the fullness of deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So even though Jesus came as the Son of God, but he was carrying inside of him Christ. And verse 10 tells us, and you are in him. That means if you are in Christ, you find yourself in Christ, not just in Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, not just as a Christian, not just as a churchgoer, but if you can find yourself in Christ, and we will look at how we come to this place of the fullness of Christ. 
very closely related to the fullness of the Spirit. And you are in Him, made full, and having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we go along with the teaching, you will see that this is not wrong teaching or error. But it's a truth. And in this season, the ones that will overcome and walk in absolute victory, in a season of danger, in a season of pandemic, in a season of chaos and darkness, will be the one that has reached the full stature. It is why it is so important for us to understand this. You are in him, made full, and having come to fullness of life, in Christ you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. But we are ordinary human beings. We are made of flesh. We are born of women, born of men in the earth, but carrying the breath of God. But you see, when we are filled with the Spirit and we allow the Spirit to take us on the journey to completion, into perfection, to walk in the complete expression of the divine nature called Christ, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we too reach full spiritual stature even though we're ordinary humans, but we can reach full spiritual stature. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Lord is a spirit. But as we look at the word, as we look at a mirror, we look at the word really, we are being transfigured, translated, changed from one degree of glory to the next. So all these degrees of glory are very important. They're different levels. But we will come to the finality eventually as we allow the Spirit to lead us into full stature, full spiritual stature. And He, Christ, is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. This is very interesting. Because if Christ dwells in you and you have come into full spiritual stature, then the one who dwells in you is the one who is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. So every form of darkness will have to bow before the Christ in you. But I must add that we ought to understand Christ. This is not just being a Christian. This is not just coming into salvation. This is not just being a churchgoer or believing in the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is why the Lord Jesus could never leave the earth until he could elicit the revelation from Peter that he is the Christ. And anyone who does not believe that God can dwell within human flesh is Antichrist. So then, how is it possible for the 
complete expression of the divine nature to be manifest within human flesh. Well, that's the reason why the transmission from God to man is called Christ. Because the word Christ means anointed. It is through the anointing, the fullness of God is transmitted into human flesh so that human beings can be joint partakers sharing the same divine nature as God. Critical for us in this season to understand for herein lies the secret and herein lies our hiding place. Now all of the mysteries hidden from the ages past are being revealed in this season. Therefore the apostolic season is very critical, absolutely vital. Apostles are not people that plant many churches, although apostles would probably be overseeing many churches. But you're not an apostle just because you've planted churches. An apostle carries the stewardship by God's grace to reveal the mystery called Christ. The Holy Spirit is fully aware of the heart of the Father. It is He who discloses the secrets of God, the Father, to us. Without consulting with Him, without cooperating with Him, without communion with Him, these secrets hidden in God's heart will never be manifest to us. That's what the Bible says. The secrets belong to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29, but those revealed belong to us. So the revelation is very important, but we don't stop at the revelation. There has to be a manifestation. Therefore, we cannot boast or brag about the revelations brought to us because it is not our revelation. It is the Holy Spirit who brings the revelation to us. So not one of us can stand up and say, this is my teaching. This is my doing. This is how clever I am. However, the more submitted we are to the Spirit of God, the wiser we become. Therefore, a very important facet of the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Wisdom. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts 6.10, And they were not able to resist the intelligence and the wisdom and the inspiration of the Spirit with which and by whom He spoke. We can see here that many of the children of God, right from the Old Testament, from the days of Joseph, the days of Daniel, the days of Esther, the days of Ruth, the days of David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. When the Spirit came upon the men of God, they spoke with divine intelligence and wisdom. Even Bezalel, who was called to build the tabernacle. The Bible tells us clearly he was already filled with the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Joseph and Daniel were sought out by the leaders of their day because of the wisdom they walked in. So in the book of Acts, the children of God like Peter, Stephen, 
appall. One could not resist the intelligence and wisdom and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they carried. Because when they spoke, men and women knew that these were not ordinary human beings. The book of Galatians tells us in 5, 22 to 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So very clearly, anyone who is filled with the Spirit of God must also walk in the Spirit. I don't think anyone needs to test us, approve us. It is very easy for us to test ourselves, to judge ourselves. Our behavior, our reactions to many things, our attitudes, the things we do in quiet, our secret services inside of our hearts, our private practices, our motives, all of these. We can test ourselves to see if we are filled with the Spirit of God and if we are walking in the Spirit of God. And I think many people have received the Holy Spirit of God but have never really allowed Him to lead them. And it is why we, had ha we have had such catastrophic experiences in the church world. People can quote the Bible and people can say clearly they're filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, but have never really lived to manifest the Spirit of God. For there is another level of walk, of not just being filled with the Spirit or receiving the Spirit, but to start walking with the Holy Spirit until the journey that He's come to reveal and take you on is complete. So this is a result of cooperating with the Holy Spirit and giving Him the preeminence. Our lives become fruitful and victorious. Take note that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faith, long-suffering, and self-control. These fruit or characteristics are indicative of the Spirit's rule in our lives and in the lives of those that are crucified in Christ. So if the Holy Spirit has come to allow us to bring forth these fruit, then I'm sure they have something to do with the divine nature of God. Because the Bible tells us clearly, He's come so that the divine nature, the personality, the stature, the standard height of God, must come to us, that we must embrace and become that which God is. And the only way that can happen is when we are ready to be led by the Spirit of God. 
Ephesians 2.22, in him that is in Christ, and in fellowship with one another, you yourselves also are being built up into the structure with the rest. It's not a physical structure, it's a human structure. To form a fixed abode, a dwelling place of God in, by, through the Spirit. So while there's an individual work going on with the Holy Spirit in each man's life, there is also a corporate activity. Today we see how the whole globe is affected, the whole of the earth is affected. It is not a local crisis, it is not a national crisis, it is not a crisis that affects any particular culture, any particular nationality, any particular religious group, but it is a pandemic that has affected the whole world. It covers the whole earth. Therefore, this scripture is so relevant because while the Holy Spirit does an amazing work individually, in Him and in fellowship with one another, we are being built up into a structure, a living structure, a corporate man with the whole body to form a fixed abode. There has to be a fixed abode, a dwelling place of God in the earth, in, by, through the Spirit. That means God must manifest in the midst of the fullness of His Spirit within a corporate body. And the Holy Spirit prepares us to form this fixed abode of God. It is He who prepares us to become one body by bringing us together for the habitation of God. God dwells in us through all His fullness, through His Holy Spirit, so that the whole earth can benefit. So when they see God in a people, when they hear God in a people, when they are convicted by the presence of God in a people, when they are healed, when they are rescued, when they are set free and delivered because of the presence of God in the earth through a people, they will turn again to God. We cannot hold back what God is doing in the earth. We cannot delay it. We have already come into a pandemic. We are already in a crisis. We cannot delay that which God is doing and wants to do in the earth. Multitudes are perishing because as a church and as a body we have failed to understand our position. So we can only pray in this season that by His grace God will allow us to fulfill all of His purposes for the earth.